dynasty as they want to be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Well, this is going to be a real lit podcast because we're recording it directly after attending a wine festival. So, I'm already Is that a place where people go to wine? Well, I'll whine about the wine festival because I thought it was a little specific shall we say but hey now be nice i'm just, these people went to a lot of effort to put on no, a very nice they were wine very festival nice. they were you. very nice i just i don't know i can't handle wine hipsters it's this new category you of can't hipster. handle them because you never realized there was such a thing we know what wine moms are but wine hipsters that's oh, a whole new category it's a far worse animal like yeah I just, the pretension and then the hipsterness of it, but then they still act like they're sort of cool and I don't know. And I can only talk about wine. I I love wine. Obviously, I love wine, but I can only talk about it for so much. And it's just like, how many times can you go up to somebody and be like, oh, how big is your production? Oh, that note is really something. And mm, I like the finish on this. And oh, it's well, so I, full I think we body. suffer from a moment... Not even in winemaking, but just in civilization where there's so much good wine being made. It's it's all pretty generally decent. There, you're not going to get terrible wine unless you buy that two ninety nine stuff at the grocery store. Yeah. And I don't know. like, uh, how, how much of the, all of these different wines can really be that different, I guess? I mean, they're all grapes, right? I mean... Is it wrong to go to the appetizer or canapé station or whatever the hell this was? And pick all of the pecans out of the nut bowl and leave the cashews and peanuts behind. I think generally going to any Is that a dick move? sort of a buffet situation and picking all of something that you want out, no matter what it is, pecans, olives, manchego, I think that's a dick move because you're basically taking the majority of something away from others. So I don't think that you can do that. So see, right? all this time I thought I had found a loophole. You know, go to the shellfish buffet and just take all the caviar and leave the shrimp and the you know expired oysters behind for everybody else. I but will I guess say that's the when, wrong thing to do when caviar is at a buffet situation, which some heretofore in my life has only been in Vegas. Nobody ever kind of eats it. I think they're kind of weirded out by it, but. My God! Well, I'll it's not the a... '80s anymore, and you're not Alexis Carrington. Yeah, but I mean, it's still like salmon roe sushi situation. So I'll just stick a spoon in that shit and gob it like it's Captain Crunch, baby. Spread it on a cracker like butter. Hmm. Speaking of butter, there's a bottle over here. We've started recording. You said that I wasn't allowed to drink anything yet. Can I? Can we pop this well, shit open? It occurs to me that we keep putting off champagne. I mean, yeah, we're always talking about whatever we're guzzling, but you know, t- today's tasty tipple is a small producer of champagne, and it is champagne. It's from the Champagne region in France. Up. Um, I think I believe it is even like in Reims, which is where Veuve Clicquot and Krug and all these like amazing. I know her. Are made. Although I think everybody here just pronounces it Reims. But anyway, you know, there's something to be said for paying twenty five dollars for a bottle of true champagne that tastes as such. 
Uh, and I think it's a joy to discover, you know, a, a, a little tipple in a bottle like this. Uh, you can't find it at the grocery store. What is it? It's Baron Fuente, uh, which I guess was a Spanish family that somehow a hundred years ago or something. I don't, I don't know the the whole history, but they wound up in the Champagne region in France and found themselves among the vineyards, and you know they've been growing and producing. I I I imagine they sell grapes to other champagne producers. Yeah, but at least do. they are bottling their own. I know that much. And this is like, you know, you can pay fifty bucks for Vuve, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. Vuve is like probably the standard bearer of mass-produced but very good champagne. But I think this stuff is like, you know, it's 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 on the dry side, but it's a little more mineral than Vuve, and it's got fine bubbles and you know, you don't have to pay a hundred bucks for a bottle of champagne. Well, I normally drink the 59 Don Perignon, but this sounds good. So pop it open, baby. Well, you know, they only made so many of, of the 59 vintage. So what else are you going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to do Baron fruit day. Well, you know, I'm not going to spend like what? $300 for this shitty podcast. <laughs> How dare you? I guess if we had more people subscribing to our We're, Patreon. Okay, so here's the thing: you don't really pop a cork that's tacky, so we're just we're just gonna let it silently fart. Ooh! Oh, that was that was actually perfect. That was a very classy champagne fart. Anyway, I'm loving the bubbles. Well, you know, you pour it diagonally like a beer, and you never know how much you have until it settles. But anyway. These bubbles are out of control. It's like we're on the dance floor. It's scandals. Anyway. All right. Well, chin chin. Chin chin. Mmm. Very effervescent. A little buttery. Yeah. And it's straw colored. It's not just, you know, pure gold. I don't know. It's it's one of those if you haven't drank a lot of true champagne. This it is may like not... a party champagne, I feel like. This would be great with like yeah. many people. I mean, at 25 around. bucks a bottle, it's sort of expensive as a mass-produced champagne, but it's not, you know, it's not going to break anybody's bank if you want to have a special occasion. Yeah, so. exactly. Like, yeah, I wouldn't drink this on a Tuesday, but on a Saturday? Holidays. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of holidays, I feel like everybody goes insane this time of year. I was just at the grocery store well, and I was we spent all year just trying to be sane. Yeah, but like people are just letting it go like and they're embracing their craziness. I was just at the grocery store and I was buying some rolls and I wanted fresh rolls out of the like pastry. What do we call that thing? The the, the pastry, germ incubator? The pastry closet. Anyway, the thing that you're supposed to pick up pastries with a tissue. Well, I walked Nobody over there that. to pick some rolls, and this motherfucker reached in with his bare goddamn hand and was squeezing every fucking roll. Dee, 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 dee. And I stood there, and like I was going to get a couple of rolls out of here. I couldn't after I saw that, so I went and bought like prepackaged rolls. But before that happened, I just stood there and I looked at him and I made sure he saw me shoot him a dirty fucking look. What grocery store were you? The Piggly Wiggly? I don't want to say. I don't want to say. All right. But anyway. Who are these people caressing your croissants? Listeners, please beware when you go in. 
People are using their bare hands. I think you just have to buy prepackaged baked goods. I think that's this. This is where we're now, at. Now, was was he doing that thing where like you turn a page in a book and he was like licking his thumb before he did it? Or there was no licking, thank God. There was only touching. And like to be fair, whatever. Everybody's touching everything. Like you're on the escalator. Somebody's put their dick on it. I'm sure. So, like, you got to be a little Oh, that happened once, maybe ever, in 1973. Come on. No, I do that every time (sighs) I go shopping. See, now you're excusing this person's behavior. I'm just goofing around. But, no, I mean, we just have to either let go or... I don't know. I think society is coming to an end. As I was standing there, I was like, this is it. This is the end of decorum. It doesn't matter. All those pastries were stale anyway. Something a little more fresh this week's episode, Mother and Son. Wow, we got really dark and really sort of introspective this episode. Should we take a break and get into it? I mean, I'd say we could just plunge right in, but I'll just have some more champagne. Welcome back. After this huge party and the fallout from that... We're really getting into a dark, serious place with Dynasty. I mean... Really? I I feel like this is all a little bit light and fluffy when you take away the hospital scenes. Are you fucking kidding me? We're dealing with postpartum depression here. I said when you take away the hospital scenes. Yeah, well, the hospital scenes account for like 75 fucking percent of this episode. Mm, I was thinking more like 34%, but they could just go away and this would be an awesome episode. Anyway, Fallon doesn't want fuck all to do with this baby like this is clearly postpartum i don't were they calling postpartum depression postpartum back then i don't think they were right no i feel like that seems very much like early 80s pseudoscience i think this really was supposed to be postpartum depression but on the other hand like dr nick toddle tortellini or whoever is calling it uh an identity crisis well, that's not what it. Which is, is like, it, if we didn't think it was a quack before, now you know. One hundred. So, uh, yeah, the, I'd I'd prefer to just take these hospital scenes up front and move on because it is one of those like things in soap operas, and I think I don't know, maybe we even talked about this last time. Whenever there's a hospital, it's like, oh no, it's going to be boring and dull, and nothing's going to happen for a little while. Uh, it's just kind of the same thing as courtroom scenes. And I don't really need, I like, I don't care. Like the one thing that's funny is that the St. Dennis club apparently gets imported to Fallon's. I thought that was room. very sweet. Actually. I thought that was a sweet touch that Blake and crystal bring the St. Dennis club to Denver Memorial or whatever boring ass. Now I think this, this is goes. another like glitch in the matrix. It's like the St. Dennis club is the only goddamn place to have a, a meal out of your kitchen in this whole freaking town. Well, apparently the St. And she's been cursed. It shows up in her own hospital room. I like, I, I feel like this is part of like the whole issue is like, she's suffering from Denver, Colorado as portrayed in dynasty. Oh, fuck you. She loves Denver, Colorado until we get to the St. Dennis club. And then they're like bringing it into her hospital room. She's like, Oh no, make that go away. I love that. Well, she, this is the thing. She's depressed. So she doesn't want any food or friends or anything she knows. She's just in a super dark place. But I kind of love the fact that the St. Dennis Club gets an origin story in this episode. Fallon has been eating at the St. Dennis Club since she was a little girl. 
eating like banana splits. I mean, and Crystal sort of said, oh, she was eating Chateaubriand and what kind of the p- pate Strasbourg? Pate Strasbourg. Which I'm going to be eating that at a future dinner party. And you're going to be wondering, where the hell did you get the recipe for pate Strasbourg? And I'm going to say Dynasty Season 2, Episode 16, 18, whatever Got the fuck we're on. Got extra nitrates. Mm. <laughs> no, but I thought it was really cute that they were trying to pep her up. But it really clearly illustrates the fact that Fallon... Doesn't want anything to do with this baby. She's super depressed. I mean, they haven't even named this little fucker. I know that he's fighting for his life, but like he doesn't have a name. It's nice that you call out what has not been said. I mean, that's always like, you know, the story tries to lead you in some place. But when you're not given other things, you don't look at those things, right? And one of those is, yes, they have not named the baby. So what is that all about? And... I like the alignment of uh, Fallon not really being into her child. And then on the other side of that rainbow is Claudia, whose daughter and sometime estranged husband may or may not even be alive anymore. So there's like this like bizarre, uni- like there's this universal energy going on where they're trading off and like Fallon has a baby and Claudia has lost her daughter and, and you know, former husband Right. The pomp and the circumstance of the past two episodes is completely gone. We are dealing with parental figures and their offspring. I mean, the episode's called Mother and Son, but it's very much father, mother, and son, daughter. Like, that is the... Yeah, that's what we're getting through this whole fucking episode. And it's, it's serious, and it's dark, and... I'm not really sure that we've gone to this sort of zone with the show yet. Well, I think they've reached a sort of aesthetic cadence with the last couple of episodes and the season was already kind of getting there anyway. So now I think you're just sort of seeing like what happens in the second movement. Um, and it's just, it's very enjoyable. It's just like a long soak in a hot tub. Well, I don't know if it's definitely a soak as it is in so much as a... Simmer, a boil. Yeah, a boil. A sizzle. Because we've got Jeff, who is really concerned for his baby's life, even though the mother was oh, absolutely well, uh, nothing to do with Jeff is suddenly going to decide to be the, the doting father, yeah, um, which he's obviously like built himself up as such, but it's like he's like not really been anywhere, and he's got like zero, like uh, he's ineffectual. And yeah, suddenly, and I don't know if that's because he's a man, and when you when it comes to childbirth, that is a woman's business. I mean, he also well, has is, all this shit going on with Claudia and corporate espionage. Too, yeah, he's got he's yeah his issues a little bit more complicated, but he's certainly got that like yuppie fatherhood situation where you know you wear a suit and you have nice hair and. You drive to your fancy office job and you care about your children. I just don't think he's emotionally equipped to handle Fallon. No, and he's not. not emotionally he's better equipped, equipped to, to be a father than to be a husband. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Well, and to somebody as complicated as Fallon, Carrington, Colby. But should we talk about his like crazy relationship with Claudia, which seems to have jumped ahead Four I love or five how they yeah I like how they've escalated this this relationship very quickly. This isn't just like fucking after a party. Like it's become very serious. Like he has feelings for her. At least 
that's what he's expressing. But I don't know. How I feel much like in I a way he's it. the woman in the relationship. He's and, clearly and then the suddenly woman. he realizes how exposed he is because like she's rifling through his files after she duped the key, and he, you know, again soap opera logic. He's only going to walk in as soon as she's pulling the files out of his desk drawer. And I like that. I like her reaction. I, again, this is like just why I love Pamela Bellwood. She's doing very much with not very much that she's been given. I think that she could have come up with a better excuse when he caught her red handed dressed in her Carmen San Diego outfit. Where in the world is, is Claudia Blaisdell? Yeah, I think that she could have come up with something. She's a very smart, savvy woman, but like her mouth was agape and she was like, Retro, she didn't have anything to say. So, because I think she was like genuine in the moment, she like knew what she was doing was like a terrible thing. It was yeah, she totally felt guilty against her motivations yeah. from the beginning. And naturally, she gets busted and flagrante delicto. And what what is she going to do? Like this this is a genuine thing. Like this is a problem for her and she does finally like kind of recover and just give out this this you know explanation that it's based upon her desire to get information on her daughter and her husband you know yeah she's backed into a corner and she reveals to jeff that cecil has put her in this place and that she is literally just doing this to find out where her daughter and her ex but what i like about this is like this is very much painting how claudia um, is going through another transformation. And I like that, that we're moving on because Claudia in the last, like, you know, the, well, we should say the first half of this season has sort of been, I wouldn't say wishy-washy, but certainly not not really capable. Fully formed. Yeah. Like there's, there's something that needs to happen and it's finally happening. And she's, you know, she's moved on from being the sex goddess from the first season. Yeah, but she's clearly still in tune with her sex goddessness because Jeff is like, we were making oh, love. She and, I'm and like, Jeff, wait like, a minute. You guys just Did like, you notice they're sharing hair care products and makeup? Like, it's like the ultimate, like... Well, and she's kind of like intoxicated. And I don't think by alcohol. I think by that D... Like something about the two of them kind of goes together in a weird way. Well, you know, again, every time the camera cuts away, you don't know what happens between then and the next scene. So, but I yeah. kind of assume that Jeff is not like a good lay, but I don't know. Yeah, he he seems sort of like a Wet moldy noodle. sponge in bed. Yeah. yeah. Beginning to mean a lot to me, Claudia. Well, I hope so. I mean... I don't exactly put a sign out on my door saying, welcome to my bed, whoever. <laughs> but I, what I love is that Jeff is still so driven to confront Cecil, his uncle, about this. And man, he fucking grabs him by like the lapel or the neck or whatever and jolts him. I've never seen a man and a man come to that sort of physical altercation on this show yet. So to see that, I don't know, kind of made me stand a little bit for Jeff. Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like Jeff's most aggressive moment and Cecil Colby's like least aggressive moment. Uh, it, 
emotionally speaking. Yeah, Cecil Colby doesn't really know what he's doing. He's not actually equipped for all of this corporate espionage. He thought he could just send this little whore off to take pictures and fuck his nephew and whatever. Well, no, I'd, I would actually argue, well, not necessarily the opposite, but I do think that what Cecil's doing is like on some other level that Jeff's not even really aware of. I think that... Oh, yeah. Well, as I've maintained, Jeff is not equipped for this show. Everybody yeah. else, even Crystal, has more cojones than he does. He can't deal with these people. Yeah. Jeff needs to go back to, like, I don't know, processing loans at the mortgage bank or something. But I do feel in this episode, we see him respond in a way which I feel like he should have been responding this whole time, i.e. strangling his... Oh, uncle. you mean if he'd have done this, like, mm, 12 episodes ago, he'd be a stronger character by now? Yeah, I mean, if we would have seen him at that dinner party in New Orleans strangle his See, uncle. See, that's when I was like rooting for him and for Jeff. Yeah, and that was his peak, you know. Well, but I'm rooting I'm rooting for him now. I think that he's sort of fighting for the right people that should be fought for. I know, but I, I think he's sort of like lost his sex appeal and like his sort of masculine drive at this point. So it's a little too late, I think. I've never found him to be that masculine i mean hell i find stephen carrington to be more masculine but that's why he's the avatar of, of 80s yuppies like it's like the mercedes driving suit wearing yuppies aren't fuckable. Hair. well yeah of course they are but like they're they're sort of just basically fuck boys of the 1980s yeah but i wouldn't even say that jeff is a fuck boy because he doesn't even have that sort of laissez-faire attitude about it all well, anyway, I, anyway, I, we, we could argue about Jeff all night long, but like, I don't even care about him that much. Well, pour me some more champagne. Refill my flute because we got to talk about Alexis because bitch got herself into some corners here. When at first we set to deceive. She has completely repopulated her artist studio with furniture and nobody says any fucking thing about it in this episode well it's her bucks she's getting paid 250k a year or something to like go away but come back nobody's and gonna say oh you got a new desk oh you got new pillows like she literally is just like reset button and now everything's back to the way it was i just thought it was a little weird there was no comment on the fact that after her wwe women's 1982 championship title brawl with crystal carrington jennings whatever that there was no comment about it, but okay, okay, she, okay. She is a seasonal redecorator from way back, so I'm sure nobody is like really surprised to walk in. And by the way, she kind of, you know, she she uh, repurposed some some prior things, so it's not a total remake, if you say so. But I do like the fact that they kind of, I don't know if they have like a white flag waving moment. But Crystal does kind of check her booze. I want you to know that I forgive you, Crystal. Particularly about that little contretemps in my studio. In my world, we call it a fight. A good, dirty, no-holds-barred cat fight. <laughs> Your world. Whatever. She Alexis wants to have it, like, sort of, you know, nuanced and laid-back style. And Crystal's going to be like, no, no, this this was a fight. This this was 
street talk. Yeah, know? no, and I think that they should put it on the record books. Like, what the fuck happened between the two of them? Because it was a nasty, over-the-top brawl, and I don't want it to just be swept under the rug, the new rug, because obviously the old rug, they, you know... Torn to shreds. Exactly. Rip. But yeah, so Alexis has kind of taken a step back on this. So she's called Tony to the studio to basically subpoena the fucking witness. Yeah. Well, she's going to engage in some revisionary history. Mhm. Which, you know, this is this is classic Alexis, like she has sort of a half-baked scheme and she thinks two steps ahead, which is a step further than some people think. Yeah, but, but no no no, now but it always she's working up, in reverse. Yeah, right. Now she's like, yeah, this is a, a soft backpedal. Yeah, and- because after that big brawl fight, she realizes like, okay, if any of this gets to Blake, then everything that I've been doing since Rome basically is going to fuck my plan over. So I have to kind of dot some eyes and cross some. The teams. thing here is this only works if she's sleeping with Tony. Wait, what? Don't you think she's banging Tony? No, he's even like compared to like a stallion in the stall or something. Or, or am I mixing my metaphors? Alexis Carrington is not banging any of the help from Tony Even Fallon all the said way that, up to that she's got a bed hopping mother, so Yeah, but she's bed hopping with millionaires like Rashid Ahmed and Blake Carrington. She's not fucking the stable boy. Are you kidding me? Well, if he's well groomed, I'm sure she would. Well, like anyway, I, I'm just Tony saying she is the hottest she, guy. She is the grooming show. the witness, to be sure. Yes, absolutely. And Tony's not really going for it. He's like, yeah, I did say that, and that is what happened. And you know, she does this whole "you stole the silver" thing, which is very personal to me because um, remember one of hey. your rich friends accused me of stealing the silver. I mean, they were sort of rich and it was sort of silver, but sure. I literally felt for Tony because I was accused of stealing silver from somebody's house in my youth. Yeah, but you weren't like cleaning guns and, you know, scrubbing horses. Yeah, and I wasn't stealing silver either. And like, how dare somebody accuse me of stealing silver? What do you even do with stolen silver these days? Melt it down and sell it on the black market? Like, what is that? It's a ridiculous thing, which is why when your friend's family accused me of stealing silver. It's like third rate Charles Dickens villainy. Yeah, steal the silver. It's a very literary crime to commit. Anyway. Well, you know, Alexis is a, villar- a very literary criminal. So, Well, it works with Tony because he goes right to Crystal and he's like, I misheard, whatever. But Crystal's not buying this shit. No. She's figured Alexis out by now. So Alexis's like basic level one, level two machinations ain't going to work. And... At this point, Crystal's just having fun with it, and so is Alexis. She's like, oh, well, I did go to the Royal Academy for a year. I'm just going to go on the record that Alexis has the better fun with this one. I I think she kind of... She doesn't even recover. She just, like, tropes and turns it into some other thing. She basically gaslights Crystal in reverse after she... She does not gaslight Crystal. Oh, yeah, she does. No. She's trolling Crystal hard. Are you fucking kidding me? Crystal is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah-ing that shit. She doesn't believe any of it. Tell me about this play that you're concocting in that little blonde head of yours. It's really rather ugly. It's about us. You were scared to death I would tell Blake what happened between us. So you tried desperately to cover your tracks. This is very interesting. 
Do go on, Mrs. Jennings. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is Karen. I haven't told Blake yet what happened between us, Alexis. Because I can't prove that you fired that gun to frighten my horse. But in my soul, I know you did. And I warn you, Alexis. I'll never forget what you cost me. She's not buying it. She doesn't think it's funny. But it's funny. the classic. Everything Crystal says is a reaction to what Alexis says. And Alexis is, got, is like steering that conversation and delivering those lines where she's reframing the narrative. So this is where Alexis to me is always a little bit better than Crystal. Yeah. Even though Crystal does win certain battles, I do feel like, and Alexis is like, believe me, is not beyond reproachment. Like, But what I like that Crystal is doing now is that she's seeing multiple steps of head, right? So she's not going to go to Blake with everything that Alexis brings up and every little, you know, complaint and every lie and whatever, because Crystal knows that she's just going to look even crazier than she already does. So she's well, like, if she wasn't always like on the moping couch having headaches all the damn time, you know, she doesn't like help herself. Yes, that's true. And that's sort of like where we are in this show right now. There's it's very American when you think about it. It's very red, white and blue Dayton, Ohio, apple pie. Like she wants to follow the Constitution and she wants to have evidence before she brings this British witch to the stand for trial. Burn the witch. Well, honey, we're only on season two. We can't be burning any witches yet. We got like 10 more years of this shit. To yeah, we, we need more Alexis. So. Mm -hmm. so the main thrust of this episode is the paternity of Fallon Carrington Colby. And she kind of reveals this to Tuscany. And then he immediately, like a little bitch that he is, goes right back to Blake and tells Blake, like, well, first he says that weird thing about her having an identity crisis, but then he actually explains. Because he's a quack. What the T is. Yes. Smells like a duck. <laughs> has high-waisted pants like a duck. <laughs> he's a duck. But He yeah, has a duck ass, too. Quack, quack. But yeah. Um, Blake knows that this is a lie, that this is something that Alexis came up with. He just gulps his brandy or his scotch or whatever, and he's ready to deal with this. And I love the fact that he goes and he like explores Alexis's studio. And again, everything is like put back together except the uh, portrait that she was painting with his like. That's conveniently still just lying about. So convenient. But yeah, the, the fact that he finds that at the end and it just sort of like reiterates how ridiculous this whole plot line really is. I guess it's supposed to be poetic, but whatever. I mean. They do talk about a blood test. And the whole time I was watching the episode, I was like, well, DNA wasn't a thing in 1982, right? Like, how would you, could you figure out paternity? I don't know. Um, Yeah, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be a quack like Dr. Toscanini. So I'm, I'm not really going to commit to a scientific answer there. But also, why the fuck biologically does it matter? He has raised her. She thinks he's the father. He thinks she's the daughter. Everything is legally binding. What does it fucking matter at this point? Whether what? 
It was what Cecil Colby's know, semen or it was Blake Carrington's what semen. What I want to know yes. is why does Joan Collins go into bad acting mode whenever Cecil Colby's parentage comes up? Because this happened at the end when they, they crashed the Clinet in the construction zone. Because it's like soapy AF. It, it is. And I, that's what I'm saying. I think there's, there's a fault line here in, in this sort of like, you know, logic that Cecil Colby could be the father. And even like Alexis. Or it could be that she's making it up and Joan is sort of selling it as this like lie that she's been telling. I mean, the sort of like fun fan fiction version might be that it was clearly Blake all along, but she's just sort of dragging this out with this Cecil Colby question mark hanging above everybody like a Cheshire cat. you know. But I don't, like, like I said, I don't fucking care because Blake has raised her Fallon as his daughter and she's accepted him as, as her father. So biologically it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, that's the, the practical reason not to care. The soap operatic reason not to care is this has been in the air for what? 10, the whole 10 episodes? season, or, yeah, basically. So like at this point, we've like been able to chew on this and digest it and, you know, go to the bathroom. So like wh- who cares anymore about this? Like they kind of waited too late to exploit this. Well, I think. Fallon clearly cares because it's part of her postpartum depression because she's talked about it with Dr. Nick Toscani and she's talked about it with other characters. This whole thing is creating a rift between Stephen and Alexis. And don't forget this whole season, Stephen and Alexis has had a pretty <sighs> so tight bond. But between this paternity stuff and her sending Sammy Joe away, which he learned about this episode, like (laughs) Alexis has really got nobody on her side now. She ain't got Blake. Clearly, she never has had Crystal. Fallon is done with her because of this whole paternity thing. And now Steven, because she sent Sammy Joe away, is done with her. And my gosh, she doesn't even have Tony, the the groundsman, on her side. Like, Alexis is so low. Sidebar, the baby's really ugly. It is an ugly baby, right? And sometimes babies can be super cute, but not here. So maybe maybe that's why maybe that's why Fallon's got postpartum depression. I don't know. Anyway, look, here's the thing. I I think that Alexis and Steven have like they're at loggerheads at this moment at the you know, in the third act of this episode. And it's called Mother and Son, but you kinda don't really get there. Of course, like Fallon and her child are also a mother and son who are also not in, in having the best relationship, which is like kind of a shitty thing to think about because like this poor child was just born into the world. He had no, no say in that relationship yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so here is Alexis and Steven and Steven's like manhandling her. This, I don't want to say understandably, but like, okay, this circumstances set it up. So, Darling, I, I really think that you should count your blessings rather than squander your money on gasoline looking for her. Why don't you have some of this cheese? No, I want to talk to you. Look, Stephen, I'm not in the mood for talking anymore, particularly about Sammy Jack. I want to talk about Alexis and one of her Alexis lies. Take your hands off me, Stephen. I'm your mother, not that trollop you married. Take it off! But, like, Stephen's not normally like this, so... 
there's there's something going on with Steven that is unsettling and even even as much as like Alexis is like a you know she's a paper bag full of hammers and nails like it's not justified yeah it takes a turn that's a little awkward considering that they were more closely aligned but i guess he's just put all of his eggs in this sammy joe basket and the fact that the basket has been delivered back to dayton or memphis or wherever the fuck she came from has really sort of set him off because he's literally banging on the walls of the studio and then like grabbing his mother and a sort of violent way. I he mean, should be excited. He's surrounded by white painted brick. I mean, every gay man loves that. But he's not gay anymore. He's straight. But you know, I'm I'm actually kind of excited that Sammy Joe's gone for a while. So I'm I'm on Team Alexis for that one. You know, even if she did have to do the like dirty old, you know, write a check and make her go away for a while. Well, I, and I'm I'm, I'm really on the edge of my seat of how long that she's going to be gone because in my head I know like. Heather Locklear goes to star in TJ Hooker. I know she's in like later seasons and I, you know, I'm, I'm imploring you not to reveal because for new listeners who may not know, I've never watched Dynasty. So I don't know exactly what's happening. And Kyler has watched all of these episodes. So I don't know. Is this just a brief hiatus? Is she going to be back this season or next season? Or am I going to have to wait till 1989 something or whatever? I don't know. So I think she had to go away for a little bit. And then the writers and producers had to, had to decide like how much they really wanted her back or how much did she bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a you know classic soap opera politics. Well, you know, in the don't tell me. And also, don't tell me if Claudia Blaisdell goes through with her suicide attempt. So she's driven to the brink. Well, that's that's like yeah, the uh, alleged cliffhanger, right? Like, does she do it? Does she make it happen? Well, I'm totally in support of the Second Amendment. That's fine. But really, should your gun be in your coffee table? I don't think so. That seems like an unsafe place. Look, this is a woman who can't even take a set of keys to another room before she takes them off. She doesn't have another room. This woman has zero stealth. The bed is the sofa. Got zero stealth. And like exhibit C is she gets busted at the file cabinet. Like... I don't. The whole thing is so aggravating. Like, Honey, because she Claudia ain't built for this. She was uh, selling right. books last right. season. She's okay? she's built for yes. She's built for Sex. literature and liaisons. <laughs> but yeah, I hope she doesn't kill herself. I don't think she's going to. I'm pretty sure she's in other seasons of the show. But yeah, I don't want anybody to kill themselves. So she has so much to live for. She has. Well, I mean, her daughter and her husband might be dead, but she also has Stephen. Oh, no, he doesn't care about her anymore. She has her career. Mm, oh, no, I guess that's done. Uh, Jeff doesn't care about her. I don't know. Maybe she should kill herself. What does she have to live for? Oh, wait, those peacock chairs. And now it's the time of the episode where we talk about our lurks of the week. Kyler, what did you think was uh, the hottest ensemble? Hands down, a thousand percent. Uh, it's Alexis in her clown outfit toward the end of the uh, episode. It's the ruffles. Yes, the the she's she's a Pierrot, you know. 
She's doing Piero, like the, the, the ruffles, except it's a plunging neckline Piero, and you get the peplum, and she's even it's like, like ruffles on ruffles on ruffles. Yes, yes, but it's like it's, you can't eat just one. It is like I'm telling you, it's it's that's the lace potato chip, you asshole. No, the, like even uh, Blake says something about like you can't be pitied or something like that. It's the you know the tears of a clown uh, thing, and, and I, this is actually like a great look and. Unfortunately, it's one of those more like drapey, blousey numbers that's kind of more bleeding over from the late seventies. But I, I think it's it's very fitting in the scene and how she's doing this like sad clown routine. Um, so I, I appreciate the uh, the reference there, and I, maybe it wasn't even intentional, but I think it's exciting. I mean, I will say more than a lot of her outfits, which are usually very classy and very like well fitted. This one had like tits out. Like there was definitely she was. Well, that's why I said plunging neckline Piero. Yeah, Yeah. she was serving cleavage for sure. But I don't know. Like it seemed a little like flousy, flousy. And she was already wearing something like ruffly earlier in the episode that kind of reminded me of stuff that we've talked about earlier in this season where she looked like a Mexican restaurant waitress. I know, but what I like about this is. She is, uh, she's playing an act, you know, and this is the ultimate act with her and Blake. And this is where, this is the episode where Blake, like, finally, he always had suspicions as she was playing him. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point, he's like, yeah, you are a deception, you know, a, a, a harridan. So I like that she's in this outfit because it's sort of like she's putting on an act, but it's like very clear. We know where this act is going and it ends in sadness and uh, and in tragedy. Yeah. So I, I like that. For me, my look of the week was Crystal Carrington just kind of lounging around the house in this I Dream a Genie ensemble where Bang. she has a kimono. It's all like blue, sort of like teals. So there's like a silky kimono that's like got stripes. And then she's wearing sort of like, I don't know, what do you call that? Like a bodysuit or... I see nipples. A pantsuit. And yes, she is definitely serving nip, 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 nipples. And and Bram Stoker's Dracula hairdo. Yeah, that's that's the other thing that I really like about it. They were trying to do something different with her hair. Yeah, they convinced Linda we're going to do something besides the barn door and we're going to do something besides the 1930s updo. We're going to sort of sweep your hair to the sides and create but horns kind of in do, your head. Yeah, like two like <laughs> croissants on either side of your head. I don't know. It's it's fine. It's, yeah, it looks fine. But I like the aqua. It's very loungy, and she's got like a sexy necklace that she's paired it with. And I'm sorry. I just love the tits. The rack is 100 in this outfit. I don't think we really think about Linda Evans's Crystal Carrington's booby wooby wooby. Well, this might be the wrong time to talk about this, but I do feel like, and it's been said, I'm not the, I'm certainly not original here, that Linda Evans had the body for 1980s dressing. She was, she had large, like wide shoulders and a narrow waist, and it created that and 80s. Birth and hips. Well, it created that 80s triangle 
of like, you know, big power shoulders. Clearly, like, she's like perfect for this show in ways that are not even like visible on the screen in some ways um, because it's like the clothes are even meant for her. Totally. Well, that's another episode of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me again. I'm going to be bigger than peanut butter. I want to tell everybody to follow us on social media. We are at Follow Us Nasty Podcast. That's N A S T Y Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Hello. I mean, we really are everywhere at Nasty Podcast. And if you want to rate us on iTunes, leave us a review. We will read the reviews. And as an example of that, we got a great review this week. Do you want to hear this, Kyler? Only if it's good. If it's bad, you can delete it. We actually don't have any bad reviews. I think, you know. Shocking. The people just love us. I think uh, that I pe- can't be sure. The people who hate us probably just, you know, get in their DeLoreans and move on. But no, we have a review this That's week. That's how bad we are that they time travel to get away. <laughs> <laughs> This week's review comes from Brian in Louisville. Have you been to Louisville? You haven't. I went to Louisville once very briefly and it was, um, the food is so good in Louisville. Everything I ate in Louisville was amazing. I've been to Kentucky once to visit the distilleries. Well, yeah, I'm sure everything delighted your tongue, right? No, that was just a, an out Edward Albee reference. Excuse me. Anyway, Brian in Louisville says, Glamtastic! Exclamation point. Five stars. This podcast has become my new personal trainer. Wait, what? We don't work out at all. How are we your personal trainer? We are not certified, Brian in Louisville. This sounds like malpractice. <laughs> Please do not pull We better something. lawyer up. Yeah. This podcast has become my new personal trainer as I am not sure how I could tackle the gym without it insightful and witty dynasty as they want to be is a must for fans of the 80s and all the glorious glamour it brought forth well thank you so much for listening brian and we're glad that we're helping you get buff if you want to dm us some pictures of those um muscles that you're building and we'll you know give you some tips i'll drink more champagne to that brian we cannot help you with your fitness regimen but we can tell you what to eat and drink and what to watch and caviar (laughs) and yes and what to watch dynasty well anyway thank you so much for listening brian and everybody else out there leave us a review and if you have anything that you want to say about the episode you can Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us. We also have an email. It's uh, just dynasty as they want to be at gmail.com. Let us know about your thoughts and maybe we'll read them on the air. 